Well, you know you're getting a message from a student pastor when he walks up with socks with Patrick Starr, and then he has acne on his face. I'm 25. I don't understand. I woke up this morning. I'm like, well, it is what it is. And I actually have hair on my head. That's nice. And uh, <laughs> just a statement, uh, not pointing towards anybody. And we'll actually get out early. Isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! So, um, and I'm also going to talk about my fiance. That's, that's a thing a student pastor would do. So I have a photo. Uh, my fiance and I have been together for a year now. And I'm not lying. There, there we go. Yes. She is gorgeous, okay? And no, it is not Photoshop. That is actually me, okay? We've been together for a year now, and I remember when we first started dating, I hadn't mentioned to the youth yet that we were together, and one Wednesday night I was sharing a message with them, and I was talking about an app that I wanted them to download so we could communicate, I pulled out my phone, and there was a picture of us on there, and I didn't think about it, and then one of the students, which I won't mention his name, but... <laughs> He decides to say in front of all of them, is that your girlfriend? She's hot. And I was like, <laughs> so, yes, I'm smart enough to realize it doesn't really make sense. I got lucky somehow, and it's best not to ask questions and just hope that she sticks around till we get married. So I'm asking you, when she's around, I know you know stories of me and how I am, but just wait till like June when we're married. And then, you know, you can unleash it. It's fine. But we're planning our wedding, and we're the, one of the first things that you do is you figure out who's going to be in your bridal party. So I was trying to decide who would be my groomsmen. And of course, I wanted to pick people that are close to me, but also um, you know that are good people, and they make you look good when you're up there. It's like, yeah, I've got solid people in my life. Look at them, you know. Um, but you also don't want anyone to make a big scene on your big day. So Sometimes, you probably can relate, there are certain people, maybe in your family or a friend, that you're kind of nervous about being at your wedding or any special event because you know if any word comes out of your mouth, you're holding your breath, hoping that it doesn't offend somebody. Yes, so trying to plan, make sure who's there is good, but thankfully, it's just going to be a small family wedding, so I'm not too stressed about it. But you're going to be like, how in the world are you going to connect this to the Bible? Here we go. We are, uh, it reminds me of Jesus and his disciples. You're like, what? <laughs> it reminds me of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, when he was here on earth, he had so many people who wanted to be around him, wanted to have lunch with him, wanted to hear from him. And he had chances to be friends and close to whoever he wanted to. Yet, he chose regular people doing regular jobs to be his disciples. And it seems like the opposite of what I'm doing with my wedding party. So today we're going to look at a letter from one of the disciples named Peter. And this is a sermon series that we're actually going through in the student ministry. So you actually get to hear a little bit of what we've been going through this fall. But before we get into the main part of the message it's important to know about Peter, more about him, why it's important to learn from him, what we can learn from his life, and then dive into what he wrote to these persecuted Christians living in five different regions of Asia Minor. So first, I want to talk about who is Peter, and why, is, to me, is he such an important person to learn from? Well, 
I'll share some stories throughout this message, and you'll, as I explain him, and then I explain some of my situations in my life, you'll understand why I feel close to Peter at times. And so Peter was a fisherman, and fishermen typically had a foul mouth. And so Peter dropped everything to follow Jesus. Now, he followed Jesus throughout the whole time he was there, but there was times that Peter allowed fear to intervene. There was a moment that out of fear, Peter questioned Jesus, and Jesus called him Satan for questioning his authority. And then later, Jesus was crucified, and Peter was approached and denied ever knowing Jesus. And, and Scripture shows that he was cursing and swearing, and he denied him three times. And then later, you see that there's a heart change. He no longer lets that fear take over, and he actually is crucified himself, but upside down because he didn't think he deserved to be crucified like Jesus was. To me, sometimes I, it, it seems like Peter had like one foot in the door, but as soon as something came that might affect him in his life, might bring trial in his life, he was so quick to back out. And it didn't really seem like he changed his ways and was 100% in until after Jesus died and it became his responsibility. So he realized he had to stand firm in his faith that it was more than just watching Jesus change lives. It was about following Jesus' example. And Peter, a cursing fisherman, is front and center. Why? Why would Jesus want him front, a front man in his ministry? I think of a couple reasons. One, Jesus didn't need powerful people to do what he came to earth for. He chose normal people. I also think it helps us to see how much they changed when they gave their lives to the Lord. No matter how normal or bad, whatever their past was, Christ is always enough. And so Jesus could have chosen people that everyone knew to make himself look, quote-unquote, more powerful, to make himself look better, Yet he chose normal people doing normal jobs because Jesus didn't need that to do what he was here for. And so after Peter's rocky road with Jesus where he let fear take over, he hit that breaking point when he denied Jesus. But he would realize that being a follower of Christ is more than just watching Jesus at work. Peter had to take action and he had to accept the fact that hard times will come his way. And so Peter makes those changes to be more than just a fisherman. He fought for Christ, and as I mentioned, he died for Christ. And as we read this letter that he wrote, we can see that he is fully committed to Christ, no matter the outcome. And he's even preparing other believers in other churches to be all in, no matter what comes their way. And so in this letter, as we see him encouraging other believers in other churches, we can be challenged to be more than just a Sunday-slash-Wednesday Christian. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter, if you want to turn there. It's towards the end of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. And we're going to start on just verses 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so we know who the, the author is right there, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So in this message, in this letter, Peter is primarily writing to Gentiles. We know in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were always seen as a chosen people. And we see through time of Jesus, the battle between Jews and Gentiles. And in this passage, Peter's writing to the Gentiles and making it clear that God cares about these believers, although the world has banished and viewed believers with suspicion these people were not exiles to God. Now, there's a big word in here that I could do a whole like sermon series on called foreknowledge. I'm not going to open that can of worms. But what I will say is this. We can learn from this that God already knew that they would be in this time of persecution. God already knew that they would be in this situation. It was not news to him. So let's look at verses 3 through 5. We'll break it down. Because if I, if I read like a whole section and then try it, uh, I can't do that. i got to take little pieces. Verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I love that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I said through five, yeah, we'll go through five. It says, who's by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So truth one is this. You can have hope that can never be taken from you. You can have hope that can never be taken away from you. Peter's encouraging these believers who now are seen as exiles of this world. So as a believer in Christ, we no longer belong to this world. We are seen as an exile. And so these churches were struggling, they were suffering, and they were desperate for hope in their persecution. And he's reminding them of the blessing from God of a hope that is imperishable. And I can imagine this situation for them must have been extremely challenging for what little support they had at that time. You know, in our time today, we, we have hope for things that are still possible. If you knew something was impossible, I'm smiling because, oh, let's see, you'll, you would never have hope in it. James could put hope into Arkansas beating Alabama, but that would just be hopeless. Look at the past 16 games between the two. Roll Tide. <laughs> Roll Tide. Praise God. <laughs> I can have hope in Bama beating Arkansas, and I don't have to think, I don't, I don't think that can ever be taken away from me. I don't think so. But if we look at verse 4, 
Peter makes it clear what we can have hope in. Verse 4 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have that inheritance that is, it cannot be taken away from us. This is what makes it living. It can never be taken away. But here's the thing. It won't ever be seen here on this earth. So truth two is this. You will have hope that is never seen in this life. You will have hope that is never seen in this life. So how can we have hope in something we will never see? Well, it says in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Through faith. This is faith for a time we will be rescued from this place. This is the hope that we put our faith in. And if you look at that section, the last part in verse 4, I think it's extremely important. It says, kept in heaven for you. I am not going to come up here and teach some prosperity gospel, I'll say it garbage, and and try and tell you that as a believer in Christ, you will then become rich and you will have all this inheritance. No, I am not saying that. That is the exact opposite of what Peter's writing here. He clearly states that our hope is not placed on something here on this earth. Now let's move forward to verses 6 through 9. Verse 6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, truth three is this. It's not a fun one. You should expect hard times. You should expect hard times. So obviously the churches in this situation right now, they are dealing with persecution. They are in that moment, and Peter's trying to encourage them in their faith and their walk to stand firm in their faith while they go through these trials. And if you've ever read the Bible or even parts of it, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. As life goes on, I know I have seen how more and more people have built up a hatred for believers. And it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, why us? Why is it always Christians? And to me, I'm like, maybe it's because we're following the truth and people don't like what the truth says. There was this viral video that I saw of these, a few people stomping on and tearing apart a Bible. And then an outspoken Muslim commented on the video and like responded to it. And he talked 
about how if the book that they were tearing up was the Quran, it would have been declared a hate crime. And he called out this country and said that it was so hypocritical to allow videos like this to be okay when the outcome would have been so different if it was any other belief. We are in a world now where as a church we will experience hate. We also experience hate as individuals. The sin of this earth can cause many dark things that we will face. And sometimes we see the work of the enemy in our personal lives. And when we face those hard times, we all often question the purpose behind it. And why God allows us to face certain things. And that leads us to, to truth four. I have more, I promise. Truth four is this. You will learn how much faith you have through hard times. You will learn how much faith you have through hard times. God gives us trials and tribulations so that we, we can see how much faith we have, not so that he can see. We talked about it in the beginning, the foreknowledge of God the Father. God already knows. It's not like we're going to show him something he didn't already know about us. This is a moment for us to see how strong a faith we actually have. For an example, I graduated college my, with my master's a year ago, and I do not miss it, but I went to college because God put on a, a desire in my heart to gain more knowledge about the Bible. I knew God called me to ministry, and so I knew I needed to study. And unlike school as a kid, sorry, Mom, um, I, school as a kid was really boring, and you, you get forced to do certain classes, and you just kind of do it just to get by. But in college, I got to decide the classes that I took based on what my actual interest was, and so it actually made, more, made it more enjoyable to study and learn to an extent. School's not my thing, but it helped me prepare for what God had planned for my life. And my grades and assignments and tests showed me how much I, need, uh, I knew and what I needed to study more. And believing, uh, becoming a, a believer in Christ is kind of like signing up for a class in college. We want that relationship with God, so we, we gain that relationship with God. And then during our life, we see how much faith we have when we are tested. But the difference is, I had a make good grades in college to pass. But as a believer, there isn't a quote-unquote passing grade. We pass a class once we sign up. But this isn't just a class you sign up to pass. This is a class we sign up because we wanted to learn from it. We sign up for this class of being a believer of Christ because we want to grow, not just to check off a subject to graduate. And so there's a couple scenarios that I want to address. There's probably people in here who might be attending church, but have never made the decision to follow Jesus. And then there's people who are, quote unquote, Christians, but they treat their relationship with Christ more like a to-do list than an actual relationship with God. 
At the beginning of this message, there was a little bumper video, and it started with a little spot of land, and then it zoomed out, and you saw the earth, and you see there's so much more, and then it zoomed out, and then you saw our galaxy, and then it keeps zooming out, and zooming out, and zooming out, and you just see so much more to the point where it's like unbelievable. And if you, there were some photos that came out of space, I don't know if you saw them, but they like blew my mind, and it hurts my head to look at those things, especially even the video, but it makes me realize how small we are and how much more there is to life, but it also reminds me of how big God is. And it reminds me of how much more there is to our relationship with God. I want to ask you, have you signed up for this Christian class yet? Are you just checking off a box Or do you realize that there is more to this quote-unquote subject of being a believer than just coming to a class on Sunday and Wednesday? So now that we know we need to be more, how do we be more? The truth is, being a believer in Christ is not the same as the typical 9-to-5 job, that you know you have to do to pay the bills, but you never want to talk about it when you go home. This is not a job. This is a relationship. You don't come to church and then go home and live your life and never talk about it. You come to church to prepare yourself to go out and tell people about it. A few weeks ago, we had life action here. And if you were here on Sunday night, the last night that we had them here, I, I came up and I, and I talked we were having a time where um, we could share stories and stuff of how God worked in our life. And I talked about how I felt like I needed to be more vulnerable with the students. And I had been vulnerable with the students at times, but recently I felt like I could be more vulnerable with them. And so I also told you guys about this. And so here's a moment of vulnerability. I'm not sitting here preaching this because I've got it figured out. I'm sitting here teaching this because this is something that convicted me and I knew I needed to share it. I think I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I I worked at U-Haul before this for six years. And I had eight different managers. And most of those managers were within a span of like three years. But during my last year, With my last manager, I cannot recall a single conversation I had with him about the gospel. I knew he was a Christian. He knew I was a Christian. And he knew what I was studying. So it wouldn't have surprised him for me to just bring up that conversation. But I was so nervous and I, I acted out of fear like Peter did. I knew the lifestyle that he was living was sinful. And so out of fear, I never brought it up. I got scared of the possible conversations that could happen, so I never talked to him about it. He was a good boss. He treated me well. And it kills me to think I failed at being God's messenger. One of the students reminded me on Wednesday about a video I played for them a long time ago, and it's 
something that encouraged me, encourages me today. And shockingly, it's a message from an atheist. When I grew up, I, I was obsessed with magic tricks, and <clears throat> there was this group of guys, I don't know if you've ever heard them, they're called Penn and Teller, and they had this show called Penn and Teller Fool Us, where other magicians will come and try and fool them because they're, they're so smart and they know how all the magic tricks work. And so they're a really big deal, but they're also outspoken atheists. They have gone out of their way, and I mean literally out of their way, to use their platform as entertainers to speak against the existence of God. So how could a video of Penn, one of, one of the most well-known atheists, honestly, what could he, how could this encourage me? What could he say that would encourage me? Well, in the video, he starts talking, and he, and he talks about how after a show they did where they were just performing magic tricks for, for a group, they normally go out and they sign autographs and talk to some of the people that are there. And this guy approached him, and this guy was used for one of the magic tricks that they did during the show. And, and he said that the guy was super friendly, and he was a really good man. It wasn't like he was crazy. He didn't seem like there was something wrong with him. He just seemed like an, a good guy. And he talked about how good, the, how good the show was and how much he enjoyed it and was just really nice. And he said, I, I want to give you this. And he, and he handed Penn a, a Bible. And he said that he wanted him to have it. And if there was ever a time that he wanted to know more, there was like five different phone numbers on there that he could contact. And I'm thinking the nerve, like the guts this guy had to have, knowing that this guy was an outspoken atheist, and he walked up and handed him a Bible. Normally, we're used to hearing from atheists that they don't want to hear anything from us. You keep your religion to yourself, we'll keep our own thing to ourselves. We, we don't want to talk about it. But Penn has always been different. He said this, if you believe that there is a heaven and hell and you have the ability to share the gift of eternal life with people, how much do you have to hate someone to not share it? He said, if he saw a truck coming straight towards you and you didn't notice it, at some point he's running and tackling you to save you. And this is far worse. That came from an atheist. That brings us back to the question, how do we be more? I think one thing is we can follow the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. There's a couple things that we can learn from that. We can learn from First Peter how to be more. I'm going to pull a Baptist move right here. I've got three S's. 
want to share the gospel. We need to be open about our faith. Just like Penn was explaining, it is worse for someone to spend eternity in hell because, because we didn't want to experience an awkward conversation. Then we need to study the word. We don't just stop at learning more about God after we come to know him. We should desire to learn more. And then the last one is we need to stand firm in the faith. Peter challenged these people in exile to stand firm in the faith no matter the outcome. This shows people that they are different. This means share their faith no matter what happens and defend their faith no matter what trials come their way. One of the best things that I've, I've heard recently was this quote. Unbelievers don't read the Bible, they read Christians. What is it that you're doing on a day, daily basis? Whatever it is that you're doing, are you outwardly showing the love of Christ to others. As we close up and Trevor comes up here for a time of response, I challenge you to ask yourself where you can place more faith in Jesus. Is it that you allow fear to take over at work? Is it that you're allowing things to take over in your marriage? Where do you need to have more faith in Jesus? Let's pray. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.